Hello, welcome to the Trustworthy AI podcast from Truera. In this series, we speak to leading AI practitioners to demystify the concept of trustworthy AI, focusing initially on financial services. We uncover the real extent of AI adoption in the industry today, the importance of building trust to ensure impact at scale, and practical ways of getting there. Trustworthy AI starts with trustworthy data, of course, and my guest today is ideally placed to talk about that. Mark Hookie is CEO of DMIST, an external data ops platform that provides access to thousands of data partners worldwide. DMIST's platform enables organizations to deploy external data solutions faster, eliminates the friction associated with data procurement and onboarding, and unlocks innovation to drive business growth. It's used by 50 of the world's leading banks, insurers, and fintechs. In this session, we discuss the importance of high-quality external data in enabling greater AI innovation and adoption. We explore how data management best practices around consent, vendor due diligence, and data quality monitoring can help build trust in such data. And how, when used appropriately, more external data can help make AI models fairer and more reliable. Finally, we get Mark's take on why the financial services industry remains one of the best places for anyone interested in data and AI. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jamek. It's great to be here. Mark, you're the CEO at DMIST, and DMIST has been providing external data to financial services firms for over a decade now. How do you and your clients view the role of external data in the promotion of artificial intelligence and machine learning? Well, machine learning and AI is about understanding customers, predicting something about customers and affecting change. Predicting something requires independent variables, which requires data which requires the right data, data that's causally related to the outcome that's being predicted. And for most enterprises, that typically is data that lives outside the four walls of the enterprise, which makes it an external data challenge. So most of our clients view the various problems that they're solving, whether it's things like fraud or credit inside financial services and banking or other verticals, they view it as in part an external data problem because that's what's required to gather the independent variables necessary to predict something about that customer, which ultimately allows them to affect change with that customer. One of the things that's evolved over the last decade is that obviously data itself has become more abundant and more available. But in addition, the maturity of enterprises to build models, to deploy models, to generate insights has gone through a renaissance of sorts and there's a lot more maturity now to actually apply AI and machine learning, which means there's a lot more demand for independent variables necessary to execute those models. You mentioned fraud, credit, and I think on your website I've seen KYC insurance use cases. Perhaps you could bring this to life with some of the kinds of external data that you found useful in these use cases. To take Some examples in KYC or identity verification, banks and insurers and many other companies want to make sure they're dealing with the person that they think they're dealing with, that Mark Hookie is really Mark Hookie. Mark Hookie says he lives at this address and he has this phone number and he has this email address. And when engaging digitally with an enterprise, most enterprises will want to build some form of a workflow or a model around verifying that Mark is Mark. So one example is that we help banks and others access external data points to corroborate what the customers tell the bank. I say I'm Mark, I say I live at this address, I say I have a job, I say I have this level of income, I I say I'm generally an upstanding citizen and not a fraudster, 
And banks will use external data to corroborate that. It could be using data that comes from, depending on the country, depending on the use case, it could come from telephone networks, could come from social media profiles. Often it comes from bureaus as a byproduct of bureaus running credit processes. They have information that can verify somebody is who they say they are. So one example use case is the triangulation of insights across those sources allows banks with confidence to know that they're dealing with who they think they're dealing with. Yeah. As you go through these various use cases, to what extent have you seen banks and insurers actually embrace external data? The promise is certainly there, as you mentioned, but have they been adopting it as fast as you think they should have? No. Well, they're starting. They're doing some great things, but I I still strongly feel that people are very much in the early days of adopting not just external data, but AI and machine learning and predictive modeling. Their financial services is this rich environment of information and customized decisions about individuals and businesses. It should be an absolute perfect situation for the application of high-value AI and data. But many enterprises are stuck with lots of constraints. I mean, I'd, I'd turn that question back to you, Shamit, given your experience as a CDO at a bank. Have you seen people adopt this as far as they should? Well, no, I mean, that was clearly a leading question. And and no, I think the potential is far more than the current state of adoption. From my perspective, what I've seen in the past and also with some of our clients now is that there are some very basic infrastructural issues around being able to consume external data in an effective manner. There's a lot of consent and ethics and contractual concerns that become important. There's also, frankly, the lack of familiarity with that data, which reduces the confidence of people inside the bank or insurer in that data, and therefore they feel nervous about using something that they don't understand, they don't control. And all of these factors have certainly been key to the slow rate of adoption. But there's also what you mentioned, which is the use of AI and machine learning itself has been, I would say, broad but thin, and that has also held back adoption of the use of third-party data in that context. But you do have, I think, close to 50 clients in this sector, and you would have had to deal with issues like ethics, consent, contractual compliance, etc. How do you ensure, how does your company ensure that customers have trust in the external data that they source from you? There's no one silver bullet. This is one of the main things we do as a business is building trust in the data. And even prior to trust, building awareness and even the existence of the data, whether or not it comes from a brand name bureau or a niche provider, people need to be aware that the data exists. They need to understand where it comes from. They need to understand if it's consumer data, what consent does it come with, what it is allowed to be used for. They need to understand that the vendors have strong information security processes. They often need to start to understand the vendors, 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 vendor. Where did it originally come from? They need to understand that the match rates are good, the fill rates are good. They need to understand that it's predictive in their models, that it's stable. There's lots of great things people are already working on. All of those things are work, processes, technology, people, lawyers, diligence. And so the things that we do, there's no one silver bullet to build that trust. We do all of the above. We partner closely with the data providers. We understand the nature of where they get their data from. We test it against known accurate data to know that it's relevant. We conduct diligence on the provider to make sure they're certified in a way that our clients and partners can trust. The benefit of our business model is that we do that deeply, we do that once, and we can serve that value to all of our customer base, whereas any one bank or insurer or others would need to do that for each vendor. And they need to do that typically prior to when they know that there's value in the data. We can do it across the market and go deep with partners and 
build trust in the data source in a more general sense so that customers feel comfortable testing and discovering with data that they may not have previously known. One of the big frictions in the external data marketplace in general is that until you've actually built an end-to-end model, clients don't know whether or not there's a there there. The data could be worth a million dollars, it could be worth zero, it could be worth two million, it could be worth something different. And so there's this very high uncertainty and, and variance about the value of data. But of course, because they want to make sure they only work with trustworthy data and trustworthy partners and vendors, they have to go through all of this diligence and building that trust prior to knowing whether there's a commercial there there. And we take that friction out. Mark, that's very insightful in terms of all the different things that that need to be done to make data trustworthy and that is difficult for individual banks and insurers to do, whereas a company like yours that is sitting across different sources and different consumers of data is able to do that scalably. One question I had for you is, if you had a wish list for the regulatory community in terms of what they can do to promote greater use of external data, what would some of those things on your wish list be? Well, short term, there's things that regulators are already doing. GDPR and all of its cousins around the world, which protect consumers as data furnishers, putting the obligation onto data controllers and processes to make sure there's an onus on the parties to act appropriately. And that in turn actually sets the rules of the game much more clearly. Commercial enterprises are great in operating when there are clear rules of the game as opposed to what it has previously been in the world of sensitive data moving around, which is a bit more of open for interpretation type situation. So that's one thing that's already happening. And, and the more frameworks and clarity there can be in that space, the better it's going to be for big and small data providers, big and small institutions consuming that data. More long-term, I, I do sometimes wonder whether it could go further and there's an analog to food or pharmaceuticals where regulators manage the process of attesting that food is safe to consume or drugs are safe to take. And they mandate disclosures, they mandate processes that in the data world would be tantamount to things like seeking certain status of certain data sets for certain problems. You see this already, for example, in the United States where they have the Fair Credit Reporting Act and they have GLB exceptions to the act associated with fraud and ID use cases. But that's just one special case of a more general problem that regulators could be tackling, which is what data is allowed to be used for what purpose and what constitutes data that is safely sourced and and trustworthy and appropriate for a given circumstance. Now, that's an incredibly complicated and diverse and increasingly fragmented problem for a, a regulator to solve, but I don't believe it's unsolvable. I think that regulators could unlock a wave of innovation if there was some mechanism for data to have an accreditation process. So you're saying two closely related things. First is that the existing work regulators have done, more data regulators than financial services regulators, to give certainty around the rights of the individual of the data subject is actually helpful to the use of external data, which is an interesting perspective. One would think that somebody who's in the business of sourcing the appropriate data might be concerned about that, but actually rightly you're saying more regulatory certainty there helps. But you're also bringing up the interesting question of regulators inside financial services going beyond that treat everyone's rights uh, appropriately to actually ruling that certain types of data should not be used or can be used for certain use cases. That last bit, of course, will also be very different by geography because what might be inappropriate in one geography is uh, completely ordinary in another. And then similarly, certain things that don't even exist in the context of one society or one geography might be very important in another. And, and similarly, 
you know, what might be appropriate in one use case is actually quite inappropriate in another use case or what might be appropriate for some customer segments might be inappropriate for others. And, and it is a very, very complex sphere. Certainly, certainly. I, I wonder whether one of the ways in which this can be addressed is by not trying to solve the problem in its totality, but by picking the top few use cases, like the ones we just picked up. If we can just take KYC, lending, insurance underwriting and claims and a few of these where these kinds of data are, are, are the most valuable, I think that would already be quite a good start. Yeah, there are certain use cases where there is a somewhat of an inherent conflict between a commercial desire to use more data and some of the moral questions that people ask themselves and each other down the pub, like targeted marketing. Is it okay to use more data to push product? And so that's where you see regulatory change around digital advertising. Then there are other use cases like anti-money laundering, fraud mitigation, cyber, even fair lending in banking, where in a way there's an alignment. The regulators are quite appropriately for certain institutions encouraging more use of data. And there's a strong correlation between the commercial alignment of a bank that wants to grow and, and meet its obligations to society and the desire to access more data, some of it explicitly with customer consent, which is even better for all concerned. So I think there are certain use cases where the um, regulators and enterprises and, and data providers all have very aligned incentives to encourage the sharing of more information. Moving on from the quality and the sourcing of the data, so you've talked about ensuring that the data is available, that there's no blank values, unexpected values, etc. And you talked about the fact that the data has appropriate consent, that there is contractual compliance. That to me is like making sure the data is ethically and legally sourced and that it can be relied upon to be there and the quality of the data is high. But with machine learning, of course, there's a related but different problem, which is the representativeness of that data and the effect that data can have on particular groups on which the model is meant to be used. I'm, of course, referring to fairness and issues around unjust bias being either introduced or potentially exacerbated by the use of machine learning. How do you think the industry can start tackling this particular problem, which is you know, the data is good quality, it's sourced from the right sources, there's all the appropriate paperwork, consent, all of that is there, but it actually ends up having an effect on the model that is akin to causing unjust bias. How do you propose an issue like that might be addressed by the industry? Good question. This is a podcast, so we don't have video here, but if there was video, I could put my fingers in my ears and, and ask the question of whether the not listening strategy is appropriate. <laughs> A missed variable bias is a problem as old as statistics itself. The solution to a missed variable bias is to get the variables. Now, that's not always theoretically possible, but if you're trying to predict fraud, it's not like people are walking around with a, a tattoo on their forehead that says I'm a bad guy, or if you're trying to predict the likelihood of somebody crashing their car for an auto insurance claim, it's not like they have a bad driver score. So people have to find proxies. They have to find correlates. And the question is, What's the thing that is the most closely related to the causal factor? And if there's missing information, then you're more likely to be further away from the true underlying causal factor, which means models that have a, a higher likelihood to be biased. Ethically and legally sourced, trustworthy data that 
is only representative of one subset of the customer base. Should an enterprise use that? I would strongly argue, yes, they should, and yes, they should find additional data to fill out the missing information because the net effect of omitting it probably harms the outcomes, both commercially and ethically, more than including it. Of course, it does depend on the situation, and you need tools and technologies to test that and understand that, and I know that's a topic close to your heart at Truera, Shamik. The effect of bias in these models is also a very, very hard thing to measure, especially hard in a world where you can't do true random experimentation to see with and without situations to know what the effect is. But people have increasing capabilities and technologies to be able to do that. And again, back to my original point, the I'm not going to go and get data strategy is, I would argue, in most situations, quite ethically challenging. It's not okay for a bank to say, I could have found out that that person just lost their job prior to giving them a loan, but I chose not to. I didn't even look because I was afraid of what I might find. And and banks know this and regulators know this. And so there's an obligation on banks and insurers and others to actually understand their customers so that they do the right thing that I believe trumps the risk of the bias that you're raising. I think that's a really somewhat counterintuitive but really interesting insight. Uh, Talking to clients and and prospects that are in this AI or predictive modeling space, many of them are indeed scared of getting hold of more data because of the unknown ethical implications of what that might do to the model, etc., But the case you are making is quite a strong one. As you rightly pointed out, it's not for every single situation. I think, for example, in certain kinds of insurance, there will be a point at which you'll know so much about an individual's risk that you'll probably end up not giving them insurance at all. But barring those edge cases, for the most part, your argument is that actually more sunlight is better than less and and being able to get hold of more data is more likely to address the bias issue than sticking to what we already have. Some of the most successful enterprises, both our clients and non-clients that I've seen do this, have a very, very clear, deliberate distinction between science and application. They have a lab of some sort where they go very deep in accessing lots of data and understanding what truly is driving customers. That doesn't mean that they can and should use it in the market, but first they want to understand what the truth is, and then they have to make a deliberate decision to commercialize it. That can provide a level of safety guardrails before something goes into production. That's fascinating. Now, continuing in financial services, uh, many, though perhaps not all of your clients, are in this banking and insurance space, and I guess increasingly other firms that are offering services in finance. What makes this sector interesting, would you say, for those working with data analytics? I think it's a very exciting space, and I think it's always been really at the forefront of innovation in this space because relative to a manufacturing business or a retailer or a government delivering services, actually a bank and an insurer is quite an abstract concept that is really an information problem as much as anything else. It's predicated on things like homogenous risk pools and and risk shifting and delivering customized prices and customized products to every single customer sometimes. And that's what customers expect and that's what they want and that's what makes enterprises competitive. You could build analytics for a large clothing retailer that predicts exactly who wants to wear what. But at the end of the day, if you can't customize the price because everybody sees the same price for the t-shirt in the shop, or if you can't customize the experience or the journey because everybody has access to all channels, then it's just analytics for analytics sake. 
in insurance and banking, that's not the case. You can really put this stuff out into the market for the good of the company, for the good of the world. And so that's, I think, why it becomes a breeding ground for some of the, the greatest innovation in the space. One last question, looking into the future. I don't mean very distant future, but the next three to five years, perhaps. Whether it's in financial services or beyond, what applications of data, predictive analytics, AI, are you most excited or optimistic about? Well, I just touched on some of it, which is where can the use of data and analytics affect change? Where can it not just be predictive of something, but where can it create a feedback loop to affect the outcome in question, whether it's analytics in the area of climate modeling, which is obviously topical right now with COP26, which can then in turn be used to actually improve global outcomes because of better allocation of resources or some other intervention. Insurance that doesn't just predict who's a better risk and who's not, but actually causes cars to crash less and houses to burn down less frequently and get robbed less frequently and people to live longer and healthcare costs to actually be lower. They're, I think, some of the most exciting areas. You know, in a way, banking and insurance in historical times were about pooling risks that otherwise couldn't be distinguished from each other. But in today's world, in many situations, insurance is not truly insurance. It's what I would call prepayment of a future cost. Is it increasingly predictable? Who will actually crash their car? Who will actually not be able to afford a loan? Intervene, provide better vehicles or better budgeting tools in the case of a loan. And as a result, you end up with these things that are no longer homogenous risk pools, but they're heterogeneous and and you end up with very big disruption in the industry. Government, again, intervention, not just predicting the future, but better service delivery, better roads, better hospitals, better schools, because data and analytics allows that feedback loop to come into effect. So I've, I've listed lots of verticals, but I think we're in the early days of people actually deploying models and AI in the first place to affect the next wave of change. But the wave after that will be about not just automation and marginally better outcomes, but actually more and more disruptive models that take cost out of the system and improve outcomes. I like that particular perspective. It's a great one to finish this podcast with, which is the real power of predictive analytics and indeed all the data that you're bringing to the table and AI is not just predicting what the future might be, but it's actually trying to influence it for the better. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Mark, you've spoken about a whole range of topics, but I think a key theme is this podcast is about trustworthy AI. And I think what you've reminded us through the course of these 20 odd minutes is that trustworthy AI starts with trustworthy data. And indeed, we all need to pay a lot of attention right at that starting point of the AI value chain, if you will, on making sure that the data we use to train our models is correct, is reliable, is ethically sourced, is within the regulatory framework of what is allowed or not, and frankly, is as much as possible uh, in most situations. So the more we have of it, the better we might be able to provide for various different groups and ensure fairness, etc. So really good message overall, which is trustworthy AI must start with trustworthy data. Thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you, Shanik. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this interesting. For more information, please swipe on the cover art, follow Truera on LinkedIn and Twitter, or visit our website for future podcasts in this series, as we continue to look at different aspects of building trust in AI. Thank you.